And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. So glad you're out there. I know you're there. Quit hiding. I know you. Don't try to get away. <laughs> this is the Soapster. And with me tonight again this week is my daughter, Stacy, um, to give us a to be here. A younger, <laughs> a younger, sharper, more beautiful, intelligent perspective of these passages. That's that's what we're about tonight. We uh, are in the New Testament this past week. Our readings came from uh, the book. We finished up the book of First Timothy, and then the letter that Paul wrote to this young um, pastor, this young leader uh, in the early church. Timothy, and then First and Second Timothy, then uh, Titus. We those three are called the um, what are they called? Let me see the pastoral letters. Mm-hmm. I think right they, okay. because these two young men in ministry as leaders, and Paul gives them great uh, advice and counsel, and uh, in their different. Uh, work. We'll, we'll get more specific when we talk about Timothy and Titus. And then we have another letter that Paul wrote, a very special letter to a businessman in, in Colossae. Paul wrote a letter to him. Uh, his name was Philemon, and he uh, will get into the details of that as well. It has to do with a a servant. A, a Well, the word slave is often used, and we've been kind of teasing that point for the last couple of weeks, uh, the Bible and the idea of slavery and slaves. It's a little bit convoluted, and and, uh, the Bible actually gets a bad rap in our current environment because our use of the word slave, uh, we just have one mind, uh, one idea of slavery as racism or, or it involves racism and, of course, slavery, the whole concept. And uh, so it gets confused in the Bible because uh, in Hebrew, for example, the same word for servant is slave. And slave, uh, 
It's the same word, the, the, the idea of a servanthood. And Paul actually opens up some of his books. We, I'm a, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, the word deacon in, in Greek is one who serves. So we, there's something we, we've got to understand a little bit more clearly. But uh, we wanted to clarify. We'll speak to that a little bit during this hour and a half as well. We're going to go to First and Second Timothy, Titus, then Philemon, who uh, Paul writes to him about. Onesimus, a servant or a slave, whatever phrase we might want to use once we learn about it, that Paul meets in Rome and sends him back to Philemon, uh, but with conditions. And so we'll talk about that. It's a very beautiful, beautiful, uh, short but very beautiful letter that Paul writes back to this individual who is a, a leader, uh, in an elder in the uh, church in Colossae. And then we're going to jump back to the Hebrew Scriptures uh, at the uh, probably the last segment of our program. We'll uh, go back to the book of Isaiah. We we just finished up reading uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and we're going to go back and pick up with this great prophet of Israel we know as Isaiah in a great, great uh, book, the book of Isaiah. Um, 37 chapters plus 20, uh, 39 chapters plus 27 is 66. I like to remember Isaiah this way because the first 37 chapters, uh, the first 39 chapters are like our Old Testament, uh, 39 books in the Old Testament, and it speaks of, of, of judgment, guidance, instruction, do this, do that, and warns them of judgment and so on. And then it comes into chapter 40 and says, you know, starts off with comfort, comfort ye, comfort ye. And he starts talking about hope and comfort, and he starts talking about the Messiah in more of a, uh, an intense way as well in general. So you got the book of Isaiah there that we'll be in for the next couple of weeks, actually. Uh, we only at this week got into the first uh, 14 chapters. So we'll go and talk about that later this evening as well. You are welcome to join on the conversation. We'd love to hear from you uh, about the scriptures, whether you have a comment, maybe something that some principle or some encouraging word or something that you, perhaps even from the books we've read, First and Second Timothy, um, Titus, the pastoral uh, epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus, or uh, Philemon as well. Maybe you have uh, something on your mind about what this the, the Bible speaks to our era, our time, uh, this uh, age in which we're living, in the 21st century. Maybe uh, some passages come to mind, or a question as well. You can uh, talk about anything, all things biblical, during this next 90 minutes. We'd love to. We're going to kind of go through our readings the reason we're reading Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and in Isaiah is because those are the readings that we that we finished this particular week past, Monday through Friday. If you go to thebiblelive.com, you can find uh, the podcast of all of our readings, and you'll see that what we read this past week is right there on the front page. And, of course, in, in, in the podcast, you can go backwards, scroll backwards, and go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, if you want to, back in uh, early November. And you can hear the entire Bible there. Uh, read a good, clear, modern English version of the Scriptures. We read the New Living Translation by Tyndale Publishers, and um, 
so you could hear those and listen to the scriptures. Uh, follow our schedule and read through the Bible every year, or you can follow your own schedule and kind of go double up and read through the hear the entire Bible in six months or shorter or longer. Uh, there it is, though. That's what that's why we're covering these books. The, each Sunday evening is because these are the books and the chapters and the verses that we read uh, in our Bible reading. So we'd, uh, often, often uh, we've often commented on the air here that if you have to listen to Soapy Dollar and, and comments and, and, and teaching and, and, and re- responses to the Scripture that we have here on the weekend, if you happen to live, if you have to listen to one or the other, I think you would be far well better better uh, served to read and hear, I mean, listen and hear the scriptures themselves, uh, to be honest. I mean, I, I think most great preachers I know would probably agree it's far better to go to God's Word itself, go to the scriptures, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart and guide you uh, instead of just uh, just even the great preachers, even good great preachers, it's still very important that we hear the scriptures ourselves and let God speak to your own heart as well. Yeah, I'll interject so, there. Would you agree favorite, with that or not? Well, sure. I'll, I'll, one of my favorite, um, I'll give a little shout out to my church community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trinity, Go ahead. Trinity Grace Church mm-hmm. and our um, pastor always after the reading of the word, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. And I, I just I love that sweet reminder. After oh, he is. Every time we read the word, just that simple reminder, this is his word, and he gives it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to know yes. him. I, uh, and your in pastor that teaches it very, he very, does. very well, too. Yeah. Go ahead, honey. But I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, I just wanted to kind of, that is, and that's why we're ultimately here tonight, is to learn and to read this and then meditate on it in the context of this is God's word to us and this is telling us about who he is, the heart of who he is and what he has um, for us today. <laughs> We're going to put it in a little bit of context about the dates, the times, the persons involved. Uh, this, I was thinking of this today. This this guy, Paul, this guy, boy, he, I mean, honestly, he has to be one of the most uh, influential men in all of history. I mean, to what what Paul did, he shook up almost single-handedly. And now, of course, we know that Peter, James, and John were there and the apostles and, and, and so many others. But God used Paul, this guy, this converted Jewish Pharisee, who opposed the gospel, opposed Jesus Christ, and in fact was going about imprisoning people and even uh, participated in the death of the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen. And, and his conversion, his transformation was so powerful. Just think, mm-hmm. the the whole Roman Empire was shaken by the, by the influence of this fellow and this, and this message. This I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Uh, it, this message that he delivered, uh, probably no, perhaps maybe no one else possibly could. Uh, we kind of get that hint if you read of, uh, about Paul's conversion in in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapters eight, nine, ten. That you 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 see Paul's conversion, and 
you realize that he said, I, he's going to suffer great things for my namesake, uh, God said about Paul. And, and he's used in such an astounding, astounding way. And, and not the least of it was not only his direct ministry that he had, but these letters. These letters that he wrote back to these churches and to these congregations, these people, and to these individuals. We'll talk about Timothy and Titus this evening. The, uh, and, and, of course, the impact of these letters through now for 2,000 years. Uh, it's just an astounding thing. So let's get into that. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. That's the phone line. If you'd like to participate, call in, give us a thought, a, a question, anything you'd like to share, either from the books that we're discussing tonight. Maybe you have a thought about their relevance for the 21st century. The things that we're looking at today with our politics and our divided nation and our COVID and our, and our you know, this plague that's taken us and so on. And uh, maybe, I mean, there's, the Bible is relevant to every area, every time. So maybe you have a thought about uh, some principle from the scriptures that you think is so important uh, for us to know and under, or that you've come to see as important in your own life and your own experience. We'd love to hear from you. 210. 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'd love to for you to be a part of the Bible Live broadcast this evening. Well, without any more, let's go back to then. Let's go back to First Timothy. Last week we talked about First Timothy to some extent. In the end, and we uh, we mentioned we said who. Uh, Paul was that he wrote to this young man. His mother is a Jewish uh, woman. His father, we don't know much about his father, uh, whether he was a, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ or not. Uh, it's father. not mentioned. Timothy's father, yeah. Uh, we know that his mother was uh, Eunice, and um, um, I'll think of them in a moment. The name will come to you. Eunice and Lois. His okay. grandmother's name was Lois. Uh, these two uh, had a great influence. Uh, Paul met Timothy in, in uh, one of, I think it's his third missionary journey, I believe, in, in, in uh, Lystra. Uh, and he had a hand, uh, evidently, in leading this young uh, Jewish man to faith in Messiah Jesus, introducing him to the Messiah, and um, and, and uh, mentoring him, uh, discipling him. He calls him, uh, in the t- book of Timothy here, he calls him my true son in the faith, and, and I think in Second Timothy, he refers to him as his true son in the faith. So there's an intimacy here, there's a friendship and, and then there is a kinship, a, a ministry relationship as well. So uh, Paul w- went to prison. You remember some of the, the history of this? That Paul was put in prison, and then he was released uh, for about a two to maybe a little over a two-year period. And it was during that period uh, that he uh, accompanies Timothy and installs Timothy as a leader to help the congregation in Ephesus. Which and, is the capital of the Roman province, Asia. Yeah, right. The capital of the pro- Roman province of Asia there. Um, and then he is put back in prison, and he writes the, the second letter to Timothy, Second Timothy. He writes from prison uh, back to Timothy, now that he is there serving in Ephesus. And Paul, that is the last letter 
that we that Paul writes that we have in the scriptures before his martyrdom, before his death at the hands of Nero. So uh, very, very personal, very intimate, but very practical as well to Second this Timothy, young yeah. pastor. Yeah, Second Timothy in particular. Yes, and they take on all kinds of questions, the same kind of questions in, in the problems that churches have today. Mm-hmm. What would you say the questions that church, what are the problems that churches run into? It, it, today, when we hear right. when we hear of a well, church in trouble or scandal or something, what is it? It's well, false gospel. I mean, I think that that was at the heart of First Timothy was that there's false teachers that mm-hmm. weren't viewing the gospel as the false true teachers, and we're seeing it as a power play. So. Good. I'll, I'll give you that one. Now let's go to another. <laughs> did what I get it? Did I get what right? other problem did they have? Uh, what do we have today? So you have false gospel, incomplete, um, not. Firmly founded in God's word. Now, in the scriptures, in Timothy in particular, uh, uh, in Second Timothy, there are, there are three questions that I. What was the source of all the good teaching Timothy had received from Paul and others? What was the source of all the good teaching Paul tells Timothy in Second Timothy three verse fourteen? I'll let you call in with the answer to this question, folks. What was the source? Of all the good teaching Timothy had received from Paul and other people. Second question, what God what does God use to prepare and equip Christians for every good work He wants us to do? What is the tool that God uses to prepare us and equip us to do every good thing that God wants us to do? And thirdly, what does Paul tell Timothy to persist in doing whether the circumstances of the people people's responses are favorable or not, whether people are paying attention, or obeying him, or whether they're not, the same there's the same answer to all three of those questions. And so I put it out there. You can give us a call, a phone call two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five, and that kind of gives us a, a a real hint at one of the great emphasis of the book of Second Peter. Uh, particularly, all right. So you can, if you can answer that, what was the source of all the good teaching Timothy had received from Paul and the others, and the other questions? Uh, give me a call two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. But what? I, let's talk about false teaching, uh, finances. Somebody absconds with the offering, or takes the money and runs. Or, you know, I mean, we we hear about that, or or a scandal. You know. The, uh, TV evangelists making millions or doing, you know, it's infidelity. <laughs> infidelity, sexual infidelity, sexual uh, uh, immorality. That's all of that is spoken of in Timothy and Titus to these young pastors. All of these themes are mentioned in church organization, church structured administration, how they function, how they serve uh, the atmosphere within them. Uh, so all of these are spoken of in these epistles these letters that Paul wrote to young Timothy. So uh, I'm not sure if there's any more. Do you want to maybe share a couple of questions, Stace? And maybe if you have a question or something, uh, or, or we can just continue to talk about the book kind of in general. First and Second Timothy, the theme is, uh, in each case, well, I don't want to give the first theme because that's, that's the word, I mean, the the question that I just put out there. Um the great a great theme of Second Timothy, and we we ended with this last week. Uh, I wanted to mention this last week. Second Timothy chapter two. I urge you, first of all, 
he says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier and so on. And he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Prayer is so if we only knew how powerful the, this gift that God has given us, the gift of prayer, if we only knew how powerful the potential that it represents, uh, we would pray so, so, so much more. Ask God to help them, he says. Ask God to help people intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. And then he says this, pray this way for kings and that would mean prime ministers and presidents and governors and so on. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. So I guess that means congressmen and senators and, and all those levels, judges and, and uh, people in uh, civil uh, authority over our, our society. Pray for kings and all who are in authority. Why? And this is a, this is a very good statement of the purpose of government. Uh, this kind of gives us a peek into what is the design, what is the what is the purpose of human government, what should we expect from government, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. That is, in a nutshell, the purpose. That's what we should expect from Austin, Texas in the state, from our from our mayor's office downtown in in the in the in the uh, uh, county uh, offices here in our, in Bear County. And that's what we should expect coming out of Washington DC is that they are in authority so that we citizens can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. I wonder if that's relevant. Do you think that's relevant to the days we're living in today? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Does, would that resonate a little bit? Uh, that's the purpose. And, and, of course, it's very important that we know that when we go to the ballot box. And when we when we vote, when we go to vote, uh, now that we are in a representative republic, you know, I often wondered what Jesus and Paul would have said if they lived in a yeah. representative republic. Did, now, did Paul hold, he was Roman citizen, did, did he hold any kind of an office? Was he a, in, in the Senate as a no, Roman? No, no. No, Paul was not. He was, uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a disciple of Gamaliel, who was a member of the uh, Sen- uh, Sanhedrin. Right. Uh, and, and he may... In that position, he probably, if he had continued in that particular path, he probably would have been uh, in line to become a part of the Sanhedrin. Because uh, when people died out of the Sanhedrin, other people moved up. There were these concentric circles of leaderships in the in Sanhedrin. So, so Paul would probably have been in the, li- in the line for it. When Paul says government there, was he speaking of his political current Roman, the, the government? Or was, I believe he, was he talking heavenly kingdom kind of government? No, I think he... I think he's. Uh, it's pretty clear to me. Pray this way right. for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And this is at the time when the government was yes. ruled by Nero. Just Remarkable, to make isn't sure it? I'm getting that. Remarkable, right? it okay. is. Look at book, uh, the book of Romans. Uh, you may, in some of your Bibles, you may have a cross reference to this. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I think it's Romans chapter twelve. Uh, where he says, 
uh, he he tells them to obey those in power in authority um and here he is talking about caesar a godless uh immoral leaders and so on he even says that in um where is it 13 yeah 13 everyone must submit to government authorities for all authority comes from god and those in positions of authority have been placed there by god so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what god has instituted and they will be punished for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right but in those who are doing wrong except for maybe sometimes the authorities themselves, I guess. Uh, Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. So interesting passage. And that was, what is that? Hebrew, uh, that's the book of Romans, chapter 13. Okay. So that's that same Paul Mm -hmm. (laughs) talking about authority, you know, the the idea. Um, Authority is a great theme in the Bible. What would you say, though, so him talking about government and authority, and that's kind of very outright authority government, uh, but then you put that in relation to his letter to Titus, who was Greek and, and Cretia, you know, Cretia, mm-hmm. Cretans, um, <laughs> Cre- and Cretans. there's a, a little bit of a, he kind of, I guess it, he gives the example of how to live and how to affect and to change culture, but under authority. So I guess it's... Uh, well, that's interesting. I think that, well, I think it's a helpful practical because, you know, I guess when he says submit to authority, he's like, okay, well, what does that look like? But we are supposed to be different. We are supposed to be salt and light. And so uh, I like that he does give a very clear example, especially in Titus, of what that looks like practically. So we're not social upheaval. We're not trying to change culture by way of hashtag. Demonstrating and burning down buildings. Right. and But yeah. Yeah, at the same, but, but if they're, it, you know, it, it, let your light shine is kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I, I did appreciate reading in Titus um, a little bit more of how that looks. So. It is. It, it's a, and, and you not only see it in Titus, but you can see that history, some of the major things that happened in, in history have been uh, slavery in our own nation. Uh, this country, thousands and thousands of people were killed for the idea of, of freeing every man being of equal freedom and, and rights. Uh, England, you know, remember the the freeing of the slaves in England as well. All of that were led to a great extent by Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, God-honoring people. And that's how we can that's how we can influence and in particularly living in a representative republic. It's an amazing thing. I've often said like like I, I repeat, what would Jesus have said and Paul would have said if they lived instead of under a, an authoritarian dictatorship? If they actually elected their leaders, would they, what kind of guidance would they have given? Well, there's our music. we got to get out of here, take a moment to uh, recognize our sponsors and supporters, and we'll be back with more of the Bible Live in just a little bit. Don't forget our phone number, 210-340-9585. Don't go away. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The world's I have made. I see Dad, I remember in the late eighties you saying how great thou art at Alamo City. Church. Alamo City Church Alamo here in City. San Antonio. Oh and yeah, we have a recording of that, and woo, you could you could you could <laughs> well, sing, Dad. I, 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 you, I, I you had, could sing. I had some <laughs> I had some vocal cords back then. Yeah, we you are didn't, back. Yeah. Thank you, John. That's a great song, and I, I I'm really glad you did that because um, among the passages, we don't often emphasize this, but when you listen to the Bible live, if you go to thebiblelive dot com. Or you can go to AM630, The Word, the the um, uh, website of the station here that we're on tonight. You can go to either one of those. If you go to thebiblelive.com, you'll find a podcast of, of all of our readings, uh, each a 15 to 20-minute Bible reading for every weekday, uh, the entire Bible every year. And so you can follow along with us or get your own schedule. Form your group, get your family together, maybe some people at work, listen to the scriptures, and then discuss them together. Use it as the basis of a great ongoing Bible study. Make your way through the entire Bible every year. I hope you can do that. But I was going to say about our readings, each reading is, like I said, a 15 to 20-minute reading. The early, as we begin the reading, we start with a reading from the book of Proverbs or the book of Psalms. Uh, we call it our wisdom and worship segment. And you get to hear the Psalms and the Proverbs. And this past week we read Psalm 104. <sighs> Finally getting around to telling what I was wanting to say. And Psalm 104 is the basis That's the uh, that from uh, for that great hymn. How great thou art! And a lot of folks may not have known that that it actually comes right right out of Scripture. Uh, a lot of those great hymns do. Almighty is a fortress. A mighty fortress comes from uh, one of the Psalms as well. Some of the great hymns, the uh, greatest of them, come from the Psalms and or the Proverbs. So Psalm one hundred four is the uh, source for that great hymn. How great thou art. Now, let's wind up the discussion of Timothy by saying, uh, particularly Second Timothy, since we spoke of First Timothy last week, is that uh, he, the emphasis there, a couple of great emphases. One, in chapter 2, he talks about discipleship. Uh, Jesus, as I hope our listeners know, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, 
Jesus gives his disciples what we call it the last, um, the Great Commission, I'm sorry. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said to go and make disciples. And so we don't use that phrase commonly uh, in our particular culture in English language anymore. So the idea of what does that mean to make disciple? Uh, we tend to use, uh, a, put a great deal of our emphasis in, in perhaps in American culture and Western culture, I'm not sure. We tend to put a lot of emphasis on making converts. But Jesus' plan for reaching the world is he tells his disciples in Matthew 28, go into all the world and every people group and make disciples. And there's a difference. Making disciples is, is a multiplication process. Uh, it's not a, it's not just one after one making converts. Uh, it was an idea of of one reaching another, reaching another, reaching another. And Tim, Paul spells that out for Timothy. He says, chapter 2, he begins, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Before many witnesses, he said, I taught you a lot of things. Now teach these same truths to other trustworthy people who will also be able to pass them on to others. So you see that Paul's talking here about a process of of multiplication. One teaching another, who he teaches two more, who teaches four more, who teaches eight more, and um, the, the, the multiplication process. So Paul was in line with what Jesus told him. That was the that was the the goal of the Great Commission is world evangelization. That everybody everywhere would be able to hear the message that it's you can have a confident, secure relationship with the Creator and Sustainer of the world. You can know God and experience Him and enjoy God here on planet Earth and know Him on into eternity. That's the message that that you can have that. Uh, as a free gift from God Himself, and and so take that message, share it, and then others tell others, tell others, tell others, and build people up in the faith uh, of that relationship. So that's First Timothy two, and then also in First Timothy two fifteen, he says, "Study God's word, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed." and who correctly explains the word of truth. So study God's word and know it deeply, well, so that you can rightly divide, rightly understand God's word. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, he repeats the same principle again. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by is inspired by God. God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And there's the answer to the question I asked at the beginning of the program, right? What was the source of all the good teaching Timothy had received? The scriptures. What does God use to prepare us to and equip us as Christians to for every good thing he wants us to do? The scriptures. What does Paul tell Timothy to persist in doing, whether the circumstances or the, or the people's responses are favorable or not? Read the scriptures. Preach the word of God to them. So, 
Let's go on to Book of Titus. Real quick, we, we, real quick after question. Two. Sure. So, when what what scriptures would he have been telling them to proclaim? Good question. Uh, at that time, of course, I, I, I assume he's talking about the Hebrew scriptures. What we what uh, our Jewish friends call the Tanakh. Okay. He, the, read the scriptures. Teach the scriptures. Now, uh, even at this early date, though, Paul's writings were being considered scriptures. Uh, Peter <laughs> actually. Read my letters. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Peter actually refers to God's word and teaching word, and, and he mm-hmm. includes uh, the writings letters. of, of uh, Paul as well. Yeah. So even at that early time, uh, there was a sense that God was speaking and revealing Himself as well through the New Testament, the new the, the, these later writings mm-hmm. that didn't get formalized uh, immediately uh, for some years. But then, uh, or Luke's yeah. Luke's would Luke's write would he the the Gospels Matthew Mark mm-hmm. Luke John right. were circulating already right. as well. But none of those would have been considered. I think scripture per se scripture yeah. uh, technically. Uh, he was pointing, I think, to the Hebrew scriptures. Um, good question, though. Very, very good. And uh, we need to have those things in mind. Uh, that's the kind of things we want to think of as we're reading through and get, get these passages in their context, in their era, understand what first what Paul was telling Timothy, what Paul is telling Titus, and then grab the principles mm-hmm. and apply them to our time and our context. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Tim, uh, Titus. Um as you already mentioned, he's a young uh, leader, who, a young man who uh, came to faith. He's Greek. He's not uh, uh, Jewish. Uh, Timothy had a Jewish mom and father. And Titus, though, is Greek. Uh, he is working with congregations on the island of Crete. <laughs> Cretans, as you call them. I don't really. Is that really what they call yes, them? Yes. Uh, that's where we got the phrase. That is Cretan, where we got the phrase Cretans. Were they kind of they, crude and yes, tough? Yes, were they really? Yes. That, that was the. Uh, and they were positioned evidently culturally in a, uh, a port. So they were an mm-hmm. island and they were a fair way for a lot of traveling. So. And then uh, the Greek culture, you know, philosophy and the gods and the. Uh-huh. And so evidently the church of the time. I love that this is so very human, but Paul, the idea is that the church had really assimilated a lot of their culture and had started defining the gospel as being interwoven with the gods that they were used to, so Zeus and Olympus and... Uh, and, and that's part of the problem he addresses and in, that is in part the book, of the, isn't it? Yeah. Correct, because so much of that lifestyle and that culture and those gods was marked by uh, lying and manipulation and power. And so the church had seen that a lot, and that was mm. so typical of the culture. It was a very violent culture, very sexual, a lot yeah. of sexual corruption. A- every culture is susceptible to that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean... Uh, actually, uh, I don't know if it's a biblical word or phrase or term, um, but uh, you know, if you want a good seventy-five cent word, the word syncretism comes to mind, which is that process of when you take the gospel and you compromise it with your cultural context, and it becomes um, you confuse what it means to be an American with the idea of to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you start syncretism, is when you kind of Mold the two, and all of a sudden, one is uh, both compromised a bit, you know. Uh, Well, Titus, uh, as you say, he's uh, a young man. He's going to be guided by uh, 
by Paul here. He's he writes him this letter. Um, what, what would you say about you, you read you read a little bit more about Titus? He talked to him about how to teach how to teach the older men, the older women, teach the young men and women. He he mainly talks to him about how to deal with people in the congregation, how to avoid uh, sexual temptation or immorality. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, he. Um, well, and I, I think, go ahead. Right. I, what you said earlier, I mean, in terms of the scriptures and God's word. And uh, and so I think he was imploring Titus to practically live out what the scriptures teach. The gospel is good news. And this is how you can organize yourself to live out that joy and let that in and of itself be what sets you apart from the culture around you. you now, know, is Titus the one he told to treat uh, the men and women in the congregation as members of his own family? Uh, or was that Timothy? I'm trying to – I can't remember that. It seems like he – I know he advises one or both of them to, in your dealings with people – Treat them as if it was your own family, as your uh, – it, yeah, it was um, – I think it was Titus. I'm, I'm trying to find that in my notes here. But uh, mm-hmm. that's a principle that he gives them is to uh, to treat people with respect, with love, yes. uh, uh, right. older, younger women, uh, older women and so on. The, the sense of, of love for the congregation. I'm not sure if there's anything else. I think he, he had, yeah, there were slaves that were mm-hmm. Christian slaves, and because the, they were in the church and Christian, they were treated as equals. And mm-hmm. Paul talks to them to uh, don't don't abuse that yes. uh, that equality, don't abuse it, and to respect still your employer, your master in that case. Um, yeah, that's, that's the... The principle, what we would apply that to today, was also the principle that was at work in them in those days. The word slave is such, such a live, powerful word. When we say it in our culture today, it's like, oh, everybody just scandalized immediately. Well, right. well it's but, associated with modern. Right, which in is our modern era. But uh, this is, uh, we would apply these principles about uh, where he says servants would always, should always obey their masters and do their best to please them. Don't talk back or steal from them, but show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. And so we can take those principles of servants and, and masters and so on as slave uh, – uh, I'm sorry, as employer and employee. That employees should treat our – employers should treat the employees with respect, with dignity, with kindness and, and love and care. And employees should serve uh, you know, days work for a dollar for a day's pay, and and be honest, and in all the dealings and so on, and do all of us do our work as unto the Lord Himself. Um, and I think one of the principle. right, and I think one of the beautiful things about Titus and about Paul is that he's not telling Christians to retreat from culture, to retreat from, and to uh, uh, become isolated and to. Um, not participate in mm-hmm. the uh, economy or to partic- not participate in the poetry or in the community, yeah, mm-hmm. but at the same time to not become that community. And that is a really hard balance. I mean, that is the, that is very difficult, and that is why it's so much more important to, to um, 
to to live the gospel <laughs> to because the gospel yeah. is the only way that there is joy on the, through that that that's re, a redemptive uh, yeah. relationship i guess that's what it started with jesus he said you, you we're supposed to be salt be light be preservative be enlightening be illuminating be positive be uplifting we should have an effect on the culture yes uh, but but not necessarily as part of it, but mm-hmm. have an effect on the culture being salt and light. And uh, I think a great key verse in Titus I, would be in probably uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He, Paul reminds us, and through Titus, he just a reminder that, that salvation, our relationship to God, we're made right with God by God's grace, by God's kindness, by God's love. Uh, he says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us, because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we can, we will inherit eternal life. Mm-hmm. This is, and look at this. This is, um, uh, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good, not in order to earn salvation, as he just said, but because of our relationship to God, because of him work within us. Um, you know, there's another passage. I, I, I listened to these. I think it was Timothy where he says, uh, this is a faithful saying that God came to the world to redeem sinners of whom I am chief, which I've always thought was mm-hmm. very interesting that mm-hmm. Paul, he wasn't just condemnatory. Oh, God came to save all those sinners out there, you know. Mm-hmm. He said, of whom I am the chief one. Mm-hmm. Uh, very broken, very humble. It's very uh, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good, good. Well, we've got, uh, let's go on to Philemon. We've talked about these two young men, Timothy, the pastoral epistles, Timothy and Titus. Now let's take on this this letter to this uh, this businessman. He's a believer. He's a follower of Jesus Christ in the church in Colossae, right? I think. Uh, so he's Rome. Well, he's Roman, and uh, yes. And this the the letter is he writes back. Uh, he sends back a, a letter, with, probably with Tychicus and maybe even uh, Onesimus might have been help bearing the letter. And he writes a letter from Rome, and he, while he's in Rome, probably in prison, he meets this uh, this servant. I keep trying to avoid the word slave, but okay, he meets his servant or slave, what we would call him. We don't know the exact right, circumstances. Yeah, of we don't know but, exactly, but but he we was do Roman, know that he and was, Romans did have slaves. He wasn't yeah, Jewish, and I mean, actually, Jewish. he had run away. From Onesimus, from Philemon, yes, from Philemon, yeah, and Onesimus did, and then he met Paul there. He may have gone to Paul. It is thought for help of some kind, Uh, but he uh, becomes a a convert. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul uh, shares with him there, and now he instructs him to go back to Philemon. 
He sends him back. Now we don't know if his what kind of servanthood he was. Was he there? Was he serving because he had stolen something and was having to pay back? That's uh, in, in Hebrew law. That's one of the ways that you could become. Uh, in servanthood, uh, indebted to a person by having stolen from them, you must return what you stole plus interest. Or if perhaps uh, he had made some kind of a contract arrangement that I'll work for you for so many years um, it, it, for this uh, much, we don't know what the arrangement was. But he was he sends him back to Philemon, and but with a huge huge difference. You want you want to. Expand on that a little bit. What, as far as your understanding, just your sense of uh, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, but now not, no, he doesn't go back and say, hey, now put him to work and he owes you this. What, what were the conditions? Do you remember some of them? I think you do. Well, uh, I think one of the things that kind of stands out to me the most is Paul does it very hum- humbly. I mean, it's a very delicate Issue. He mm-hmm. he doesn't. It's a capital crime, actually, that Onesimus has committed. Well, Philemon could have him under Roman law could have had him uh, executed, mm-hmm. or, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the very serious thing. And here, and Paul is a dear friend to both, mm-hmm. you know, to Onesimus and to Philemon, mm-hmm. and so uh, I it, it kind of feels as if Paul's sort of kind of caught between the two in a way. Right. And and I I just love I mean it's a letter I mean it's a, it's a very Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus or the gospel mm-hmm. in this letter which is different than all of his other letters. It's mm-hmm. one of the shortest letters, but it's one of probably the most powerful examples of Paul himself acting as that mediator, acting as Jesus. And so he doesn't mention Jesus or the cross, but he Paul takes on that role and mediates between Philemon and Onesimus. And now, in this version, beautiful. honey, it says that is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you mm-hmm. uh, to Oni, uh, to Philemon. Philemon for Onesimus. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you right. as a favor. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's touching actually. <laughs> Uh, In other words, he doesn't use the gospel to guilt Philemon into mm -hmm. doing the right thing. He uh, he he says, "This is this is your choice. This is this is for you to uh, choose." But I and I will take on Mm -hmm. whatever debt Onesimus owes. I will pay the punishment if you do require. Something if because he owes Onesimus, you something if because Onesimus yeah. did wrong finally many of it you know ever we and he may have stolen something he may when have, he left we don't, yeah. right and so Paul says if that is the case I will take that on I um, personally mm-hmm. assume that debt yeah and and I love this he says because of our love I prefer simply to ask you consider this as a request from me Paul an old man now and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus mm-hmm. uh, I mean it's just you think of him in this prison cell. Um, with his approaching death, mm-hmm. and um, he tells him to receive him, but in a new in a new way. Not now as a servant, uh, but he is now no longer like a slave to you, for he is a beloved brother, mm-hmm. especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So we ask uh, this. Uh, businessman to receive this uh, runaway servant 
to receive him as a brother in Christ. And I I think that's a, such a powerful, powerful message. He, I, he, he, in that, in Philemon, I think we get the most, but the uh, um, outworking of how the cross is, it, the ground is level at the cross. Mm-hmm. We are exactly all, right. we are all in the same position uh, when it comes to mm-hmm. the cross and our worthiness of it. It's a very powerful, powerful little letter that we have from Paul to Philemon. One chapter, 25 verses only, but it has such a powerful effect because it's very personal and it deals with interpersonal relationships. That There was something, uh, over half of the people in in the Roman Empire, over half of the people, uh, I think Jacob often mentioned it even being higher, 80 to 90%, over half of the people were in slavery and bondage of some kind. And what a what a message this was in the midst of that kind of a setting or right. environment. And I also think it, um, if the idea of equal partners in the gospel, and he talks often about that oneness and that equal equal at the cross, uh, and that is the only way that you can. I mean, if 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 you make anything other than God's word and the gospel your mission, then there will be um, trans. There will be inequalities. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Another great choice, John. Or another great <laughs> choice. Love lifted right. me. The great themes of uh, of the scriptures. I guess that would you could see that in everyone. Titus, uh, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, mm-hmm. and uh, all through the scriptures. Almost every page of the Bible, there is that clear some expression of the great care, mercy, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, love that God has for us. Uh, almost every page of the Bible, you can find expressions of it. Let's go back to the uh, Tanakh, back to the Hebrew Scriptures now. We've spent our season in the New Testament, and uh, now we go back to the great, great prophet Isaiah. Now, we haven't gotten a call tonight, 210-340-9585. It would be great to hear from some of you out there if you have a thought at all about the the epistles, the 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 uh, pastoral epistles that we've been discussing and that we read this past week, or if you would like to comment a little bit about Isaiah, maybe, or just any other theme in general that you've been thinking about as a believer, or maybe not as a believer, maybe as someone you're considering, wondering, exploring uh, this book, the Bible, and the the uh, message of the Bible. And maybe you have a question about it. We would love to hear from you uh, with, with great respect, and uh, we would just love to hear from you. What is your question? What is your thought? What is your comment? 210-340-9585. So uh, let's go back to Isaiah now. This guy, this guy, um, 
what an amazing individual. 54 years uh, in ministry. His ministry as a prophet of God, as a spokesman for God, it spans five uh, kings during the reign of five different kings. Uh, he is um, primarily, I think his message primarily is directed to Judah in, in the south. Some of the prophets uh, were addressing primarily Israel in the north. But Israel uh, has has been taken now uh, in 722 B.C. Uh, Israel, the ten tribes in the north, are taken by Assyria and into exile and never return. They never again return to reconstitute as a nation. Uh, so uh, Isaiah is speaking primarily, writing primarily to the um, people in Israel and the uh, tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south. Um, as I mentioned before, it, it begins a great part, the first part of the book of Isaiah. Uh, the first 39 chapters deal a lot with warnings, with judgment. Now, now it's not devoid at all. Uh, it's not devoid of all expressions of love and patience and goodness, but the principal uh, message that he has is uh, for rebellious Judah. Uh, he warns them. He warns. Uh, warning judgment of unfaithful Jerusalem. He begins to warn to the nations around. Judah, um, but mainly it's it's calling them to repent and turn uh, turn back to God. Um, he, he he's warning them of wickedness. In chapter three, he warns. Actually, he singles out the women in Jerusalem uh, in chapter three and warns women as in their role in the society. Uh, this whole idea that women were powerless and uh, no influence, and no, you know, I've been married now for almost fifty years. Don't tell me that that woman of mine is powerless. Uh, there's a whole she. Uh, so much of our life is due to her influence, uh, and so many of the blessings and the good things that we've experienced. So women have their way uh, of influencing, and uh, the nation and the families, and you know that sort of thing. Uh, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle, right? Is that and so, but but they can also be, they can also be just as sinful and selfish and, and immoral and everything else as sinful men. Uh, Je- Jeremiah mentions that as well in his book, but Isaiah uh, also singles them out. Their their role in this community and the families and so on uh, was important. So Isaiah spends a lot of time warning people about. Uh, wickedness and about sin in the first, particularly the first 39 chapters, and then in the last 27, almost like the Old and New Testaments, it turns to his expressions of hope and salvation and redemption. Uh, that's kind of the way I remember that division of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah himself, um, like I said, his ministry, almost almost six decades entirely, that he uh, exercises his ministry to Israel. He starts his ministry chapter 6. And, and for most people, Isaiah chapter 6 is just a just a, one of the most beautiful passages of the Bible. I mean, I think um I'm sure it's been put to music many, many times and so on. 
Isaiah 6, it was in the year that King Azariah, or Uzziah, some people don't know the, the word Uzziah is used here as uh, in, in the language, the that's sometimes why we get these kings mixed up because the language can change from uh, period to period. Azariah is the same as Uzziah. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Now, that may have been because Uzziah, Azariah, had reigned as king for over 50 years himself. Hmm. And and so the, the nation had enjoyed long-lauded decades now, a long period of time under relative stability and 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 calmness, and, and now Uzziah dies. So you could see why the prophet here would be shaken. You know, he is a young man. This was a time of it, it, it maybe uh, it may be akin to when, let's say, a Kennedy or someone of Lincoln or someone that really means something to the nation is is yeah. taken, and yeah. how we're, we're so. Uh, a, touched by his passing and that's what may have happened here with with isaiah it was in the year that king uzziah died that i saw the lord he says he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple attending him were mighty seraphim angels each having six wings with two wings they covered their faces which two they covered their feet and with two they flew and they were calling out to each other Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. So so Isaiah has this vision uh, in this moment of weakness, of vulnerability perhaps. Who knows, thinking of the nation or maybe even a personal time in his young life. He has this this moment of vulnerability, and, and, and at that time he sees this, this incredible vision of, of God and all of his awesomeness, his, his holiness and perfection and his power, his omniscience, omnipotence, and so on, and his glory. and Accessible, though, to us. Wow. By, and it by way him. of Emmanuel. Yeah, it shakes him to the core, though. He's, yeah. He said, then I what was his response? I'm doomed. Yeah. You know, in the old uh, King James, woe is me. I am doomed. It's all over. It's finished. For I am a sinful man. Mm-hmm. He saw God in his glory and his holiness, and he becomes aware of his own need and his own lack of holiness. Mm-hmm. And, and I am a, I have, I'm a man of filthy lips. Well, and this is very uh, the... Um the Judah, the the Leviticus law mm-hmm. would have been very associated with cleanliness versus oh. and, and with holiness and cleanliness. Yeah, and uh, I I've always appreciated in terms of holiness using the metaphors of the sun. So holiness being completely mm. utterly unique, much like the sun, mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. utterly unique, and it's it's provides incredible power and life, and it's sustaining and wonderful. Mm. But if we are not as powerful as the sun, if we get close to it, the sun will kill us instantly. Yeah. And I've always appreciated that as kind of the image of of God's holiness. Yeah. So wow. Isaiah is seeing God as the sun, you know, as as holy, yeah. life sustaining, completely unique and wonderful. But if I get too close to it, well. it will yeah. kill me. And mm-hmm. and so it, to him, it's the idea that. 
that's and and that's what the beautiful the coal touching yeah. his lips though is such a pretty yeah. picture oh, because yeah. here instead well of, he becomes yeah. aware of his own shortcoming you know I see the Lord first he saw God I in His glory and then he saw himself mm-hmm. and he saw his need and his vulnerability his I am doomed I am a sinful man I have filthy lips mm-hmm. and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen yes. the King, the Lord of Heaven's yes. armies. And up until that point, when anything that is uh, clean, when, when filthy kind of enc- encounters clean, then you become, you you would die. I and I, I love the vision though of, but Christ in that Jesus, the holiness, the embodiment comes, which is the vision that he sees. Mm-hmm. And instead of, and when Jesus touches others, they though become clean mm, and mm. Uh, and that's the hope and that's what he encountered a vision is of the Messiah. well god the king here also makes a provision for this young isaiah you know he says uh, oh i'm uh, yet i have seen the king i'm unworthy i'm i'm so filthy and and then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar of god with a pair of tongs he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, what, what a beautiful picture there, too, as you were saying, the redemptive nature of God to redeem us and to, to cleanse us. Right, instead of uh, holiness and, mm. destroying us mm-hmm. because of what Jesus did, we can become holy when we encounter Jesus. And you would think... Putting a burning hot coal on your lips <laughs> wouldn't be a particularly. It, it, it's an interesting. It's an interesting vision here, and an interesting mental picture, because, I mean that, and in some ways, I think, you know, even Jesus talks about the fact that in order to to receive His gift of, of salvation and forgiveness and cleansing, we. We do have to die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of a uh, we give up. We give up the impurity. Mm-hmm. We give up the sin and the selfishness, mm-hmm. and, and we see that beautiful picture here that the coal touches his lips, and then, okay, I mean, I've often thought, man, it it's so amazing that God takes soapy dollar. Stacy Dollar, John, you know, God would take any of us that God would bring us into his family, that he would forgive us and cleanse us and bring us into his family. But he goes further than that. All of a sudden, then I heard the Lord saying, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? So he not only gives him a, a, a place in his family of forgiveness and a right standing with God himself, but he gives him a purpose. He gives him. Uh, he also gives him the privilege of not only a, a child but a servant of God. Mm-hmm. We have our lives can count and the for only God. Way that There's that something would, we can right, do for Him. Right. And the only way that that would be good news is if He also empowers us through Him. <laughs> we certainly couldn't do it on our to, own, could we? Right to also impart. Mm-hmm. Holiness and and to to be well, I, and I think the transfer of that is is by way of loving other people mm. and sharing the good news. I was talking with somebody this week, Stacy, about June of nineteen seventy two. I was in all. I was in Dallas, Texas, seventy five, eighty thousand, maybe eighty five thousand. I. Uh, 
young people, college students from all over the United States came together for what was called Explo 72. At that time, it was the largest. And it wasn't just a rah-rah, listen to music conference, that kind of conference. It was a training. Uh, we went there to learn how to share our faith with others and how to make disciples. It was a, uh, a the largest training conference in history up to that time that that was known about. Uh, just a few years later, uh, uh, Korea had Seoul. Uh, here's life, Korea. Here's life. And they with over I forgot name, close to a million. So they overtook us pretty quickly. But I stood there in that stadium with eighty five thousand others, and I heard Dr. Bill Bright talk about the Great Commission, the challenge of reaching the whole world. At that time, there were four point Somewhere around four four point eight billion, uh, four point uh, yeah four point eight billion people in the world. Now there's seven over seven seven billion. Uh, now uh, fifty years later, but he through told us the challenge, and and then he said he challenged us to be a part of helping to fulfill the Great Commission in this generation in our life. And I was so touched, just like uh, just like Isaiah that night. Uh, Eighty-five thousand young people, and Doctor Bright up on the stage started out with one candle. It was lit, and he lit the candle of the person next to him, and they lit the candle, and they lit the candle. And I was standing up in the stands of the of the uh, 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 in Dallas there, the Cotton Bowl, and I watched that light that being passed, candle to candle, light to light, and they sang that. That old song that only takes a spark to get a fl- fire going and, and the light spread. When it came to me, I gladly – that night I made my commitment. I said, Lord, I, want, I give my heart my life. I want to be – I want to serve you and be a part of helping to reach our world for the cause of Christ in, in my generation. And so it was a touch of this. I can, I can sense a little bit of the, the depth of, of Isaiah's conviction, his – his feelings of, of inadequacy and weakness, and yet God's call to him. And, and, and Isaiah hears that call, and he said, Who will I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. How many of us, how many of God's people through the centuries even, have heard God's call and at some point, in some way, said, God, I give everything I am to you, everything I have, everything I am. Here I am, send me. And so, and then God says to him, go and say to this people. Uh, and this is interesting too, Stace, in his calling. The great early passage, Isaiah 6, he, he calls him to be, his, to be right with him, to be his child in sense. And now he's calling him to be a servant. He said, but listen to what, <laughs> he said, this is what you're going to say to the people. Listen carefully, but don't understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. <laughs> Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Isn't that a tough message? Mm-hmm. He's calling him to be his servant, his preacher, his messenger, and he's saying they're not going to pay any attention to you. Mm-hmm. So right from the beginning... Uh, if if is there any kind of uh, dreams of grandeur and I'm going to be a great you know the held up, uh, he tells them they're not going to listen. You, you, it's going to end they're badly. They're not going to listen. They're not going to pay attention. But will you go and and be my messenger? 
And he said, uh, until the towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country, till they're taken into exile. You see? And, and, and just a few short years after this, he said, if even a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But listen at the last part of chapter 6. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's a, and, of course, we understand that. There's that holy seed. The, the holy seed, that, that Messiah, that Savior, that Redeemer. That God is, is going and this, isn't that, that just that promise. so beautiful and typical of, of of God's redemption and of of all of the epic stories. Mm-hmm. I love how uh, Lewis always says he's this is the it's the true myth. This is this is the one that's true when it all looked lost. Yes, when it did not look like it was going to happen. When it did not look like good was going to. Oh be. No. yeah, um, yeah. Lewis was good at that. Insane. Don't give up dreams. Don't give up myth the magic of life and because this is the great magic of life the great epic than this the epic truth the the uh, of um of god and his love for humanity and what he has done for us through the redeemer through the savior so then uh, uh isaiah begins his ministry he he does just exactly as he's told he begins warning people uh in fact, in chapter 7, there is this uh, promise about the Messiah. Uh, remember that, that one of those prophecies we look at, it says, um, uh, the, 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 when the, um, uh, the sign of redemption will be uh, that a virgin, a young woman, uh, a young maiden will conceive. Isaiah 710. Yeah, 710. Thank you very much. I was kind of get lost. Uh Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as the heavens is deep, in place of the dead. Um, uh, yeah, there. Uh, the virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and so on. Now, this has a short-term prophetic uh, uh, application. Uh, he's talking about uh, Ahaz, uh, how they're going to be delivered. Uh, but but then a lot of the prophecies have not only a short-time application, and he was talking about someone, perhaps a, a maiden in the in the palace, in the royal um, uh, palace among the family there. And yet there's this principle that he, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and he will be... Um, uh, you know, and he's pointing ultimately Wonderful to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He will bring the King of Assyria upon you. Um, oh. So anyway, there, there's that great prophecy, Emmanuel. By the way, our phone number is two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. I'm kind of shuffling along here. We went through chapter fourteen. We read through. Uh, he warned them about the coming Assyrian invasion. Uh, Assyria, with their capital, was in Nineveh. Uh, they were they were the ones who destroyed Israel. I mean, in the north, the 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 capital city of Samaria were destroyed in 722 BC, and they were taken away. And he warns now that uh, Assyria is going to invade and, and attack Judah as well. So, just kind of to put it into context, so it, would would that have been an unheard of an unthinkable thing to the israelites would they have thought no no way or would it that assyria would the the invasion the invasion and then 
or would that have been like, yeah, they they really might. I, you know, uh, I, they knew they were in. They knew they were surrounded. Uh, Israel yeah. has always been that little piece of real estate has always been surrounded by very. In, in fact, the the five great empires of their existence, uh, Israel. I mean, Egypt in the south. And then it went up to uh, um, Aram mm-hmm. with their capital, Damascus, mm-hmm. uh, in the northwest, uh, up to the corner. They persecuted them. And then came Nineveh and the Assyrians with their capital, Nineveh. Okay. And then came the Babylonians, just a little further to the east, the Babylonians. So they were always surrounded by the great empires of, right. of those millennia, those hundreds of years. And they were surrounded by, of course, polytheism and immorality and all kinds. They were this little bastion of, 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 of monotheism, of, mm-hmm. of a loving, moral, good, gracious God. And they just so to what end had to do hold you think on to that. Isaiah, what was Isaiah hoping for from the people in warning them? Of the jet of the impending. I mean, what, well, what was his? Well, I assume being a human being, he kind of hoped that they would have uh, repented. I, but he's already been told they're not going to. Right. So repented though, then, but not for the sake of not being overtaken by Assyria. Re- why repent then? Oh, well, I'm saying I. I assume as a human being, he hoped, he thought they might. But that's an interesting, very interesting question that most people don't understand. You know, we quote a verse. There's a, a verse that a lot of people, Christians, quote nowadays. I've got to get to say this quickly. <laughs> is that uh, the God's word never returns void. void. Mm-hmm. Well, that's in Isaiah, if I remember correctly. Let me make sure. I think it's Isaiah 55. And it always accomplishes the purpose that God has for it. Some that Sometimes that purpose is repentance. But sometimes that purpose is to call them... The, to bring forth their judgment. Okay. The, the purpose of God's word is to call forth a response from human beings, and it always accomplishes that. It doesn't mean that they always get saved, but it calls forth a response, even the one that would call cause ultimately their judgment. Okay. It's a very interesting point. We'll come back to the book of Isaiah next week, folks. Join us the then. Bible My favorite is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 